Welcome, everyone, to our brand new podcast show for the love of books, featuring Indian small press authors who bravely navigate the treacherous waters of self-publishing and marketing even during the pandemic. I will be your host, Emma, and we're going to have a blast, short of riding a pump trolley, unless our featured author is going to provide one for us as we move forward to enjoying life again in all its dimensions. This show was made partly possible by the generosity of Doc Chavant and her support for the arts. It is my pleasure to present to you author Randy Pearson. Randy has authored four books, including his track brother saga, dubbed as a deft rail tale. Hello, Randy. Hello, Emma. Nice to see you. <laughs> nice to see you. How are you today? <laughs> oh, I'm wonderful. Thanks. How are you okay. doing? Tell us. <laughs> good. Tell us all about this deft rail tale. How did it start from the whole idea to the final product? Okay. Well, so the, the, the basic premise is it's the, the first book, Track Brothers. Uh, it's a story of two brothers who inherit one of these old 19th century hand cars here. It's one of these old pump style hand cars. And then they, they find themselves stranded up north and realize the only, only way they're going to get back from the Manton area to Lansing is to put that thing on the train tracks and pump their way home. So the idea came to me was where it's because, you know, you don't see these things in, in popular, you know, TV or anything. You know, you just don't see it. Every now and again, you'll see, you know, uh, Looney Tunes with a hand car or something like that. But for some reason, it was in the back of my head one day. I drove up, I was just driving, you know, back roads and the, the train, you know, the, the, the gates came down. And it's one of those times you probably had it happen where, you know, you, you pull up and the gates come down, but then no train comes for a while. Like, you know, there's a train somewhere around the bend. You can kind of hear it, but you're waiting for it to waiting for it. And yeah. for some reason in my head, I thought, how weird would it be if two guys came by pumping in a hand car, you know, waving as they go by. And it's just that image in my head made me start thinking, Ah, that would be a wild story. How would those two people get a hand car? Why would they have it? And I just started, I'm sitting there as the train's going by. I'm writing the story in my head. And it, it, the train goes, the train's gone. The gates go back up. I'm still writing the story in my head. People behind me are starting to honk at me because I'm not moving. I'm like, oh, oops, I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. Take off. And I'm and all the way all the way back home. I'm thinking about this, this story. And that was, gosh, probably 15 years ago. And with me and my stories, they tend to percolate for a very long time, decades even. So it finally got to the point where I had, and, and also part of it too, is that I'm, I've always been a short story writer. So it's only in the last maybe five years that I've actually been able to get my mind wrapped around the idea of writing novels, like coming back to the same story over and over again. I have what I call writer's ADD or specifically ADOS, attention deficit, ooh, shiny. So, Ooh, yeah, shiny. Right? so yeah, it's just, so I finally was at a point where I, I could make myself come back to the same story day after day, week after week, and finally wrote that story. So it was probably 15 years after the idea came to me that I finally put it in, in a book form. What about the characters? Did they pop up in your head, right, as you were standing by that railroad crossing, the two brothers, the Traxel brothers? <laughs> No, actually, with the way I write, I tend to come up with the story in my head, and then I know I need characters to be in the story, and I throw characters in there. 
So when I was when I was actually writing the story and realized, well, I you know I need to know who my my Traxel brothers are. I based them initially based them on myself and my older brother Mark. So Mark was the jam character, the older brother, and and Jax was the younger brother, me. But as I was writing it, I began to realize that Mark and I are very similar people. <laughs> We're very very similarly uh, just our personalities and everything. So. I ended up making the younger brother, Jax, a little more uh, hot-headed, a little more quick to anger, a little more, you know, just, just made him a little more, I guess, interesting, which I'd like to think isn't me, but as I'm getting older, I'm starting to get crankier, and I'm starting to think I'm becoming, <laughs> becoming Jax a little bit here. Did you have fun doing this? You must have had oh, lots of fun. But have you ever actually seen a hand car, a railroad hand car? Or you only know yeah, it from um, pictures, cartoons? No, actually, well, well part, and part of the story, and near the end of the story, that they end up at the Steam Railroading Institute, which is a, a really cool place in Owasso that has steam railroads there. They have the, the Pierre Marquette 1225, the one that they, they base the... Um, Ah, shoot the the Christmas movie with the train yes. with Tom Hanks like yes you know what I'm thinking about Polar Express that's the one so so um I found out they had a hand car there and I got a hold of, of the curator and was like hey can I come and look at it and not only did it let me come out and look at it but I got to stand on it and I you can't use it because it's just sort of like in their grass but I was able to get some pictures of me and my brother on the hand car and you know action photos and but just got to see what it looked like up close. And that, that did help the story too, to know exactly what one of these things looks like. You had a first-hand experience. I mean, that hand car inspired the whole saga. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Is it correct that it inspired the whole saga? Oh yeah, most definitely. That's awesome. And you too are a COVID author, meaning you published during the COVID pandemic in October of 2020. And how did that go? I read about your COVID plate book launch or with, you know, Facebook. Tell us about your book launch and the whole experience launching a book during COVID as opposed to launching a book in normal times. How does that, the two compare? How do the two compare? Well, um, in, in terms of the writing of it, uh, I think other authors you've interviewed have said the same thing where, you know, I, I do a lot of events in a year. I mean, I could have 25 or 30 author events, you know, fairs, festivals, craft shows, you know, really let me set up a booth and table. And of course, last year, there was none of that. You know, the few that I had set up were all canceled or postponed to, to this year. So I had a lot more time to write. So and, and also my, my job, my day job, um, normally I, I drive, I'm usually on the road for about 40 minutes a day, um, one way trip to get there. So it's about a 75 mile round trip. So, um, you know, and because of the pandemic, I've been working from home almost entirely. They gave me this nice laptop that I'm working on here. So um, basically I would, I would uh, you know, do my work from, from, you know, eight to five, and then I would pivot over here. I can turn this a little bit so you can see it's not on, but this little machine over here is my desktop machine here that I use. And that is the machine that I used to write. So I would turn <laughs> and then start writing. And I figured I would normally be on the road for about an hour. So I would spend an hour each day sitting over here writing my story. And usually I'm not good at that. I'm, I'm, I'm more of a wake up on a Saturday morning and spend 10 hours writing kind of guy as, as opposed to an hour a day writer. 
but I was already here. I already had the gearing going on. It's like, I might just as well just, you know, pivot sideways and start writing. So that's what I did for several months to get the book written. Um, and then in terms of the, uh, the marketing of it and, and, and everything yes. that, yeah, that's been really challenging as you can imagine. Yes, I can. I'm one of the COVID authors too. I published mm -hmm. and marketed during the COVID pandemic. Yeah. So the, the publishing itself, I mean, that was you know, pretty straightforward. It was, it was actually easier to find people to proofread my book because everybody's at home. So that part was pretty simple. But once I published it and put it out, yeah, I mean, it's just they're, they're just, I didn't, you know, like the, the first Track Brothers book here, um, my, my initial um, uh, release party, I sold well, like 100 books, you know, I mean, a, a you know, really good number of books at this thing. Oh, yeah. And this one here was online, kind of a hybrid online in person over at Everybody Reads in Lansing, which is a great store. And they did everything they could to promote it. But, you know, it's still no one wanted to leave their house, you know, so I sold a few. I mean, not many. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not upset about it. I mean, I realize this, this is the reality we're living in right now. So it, it, you know, I've sold nowhere near as many books and got, you know, got my story to as many people, but I wanted it out now. And then this year things are going to start opening up and then I can start pushing it more. And that's really the important part here. Are you going to do like a physical relaunch of the book? You know, I, I hadn't actually thought of that, although it wouldn't be a bad idea. I mean, the virtual launch didn't really, you know, garner a whole lot. So no. I, I very well might do that. I don't know. It's a good idea. Thank you. Yes, <laughs> really about absolutely. It. <laughs> absolutely. Question for you. How does Senator Tom Barrett know you that he sent you a congratulatory letter after you published your Saga 2, Track Brothers 2? He sent you a letter, right? He did. That came completely out of the blue. I have, I had, and still honestly have no idea who he is, which is, I'm embarrassed to say, I'm not as politically minded as I probably should be. So no, that, that arrived in my mailbox. I'm like, huh, that's weird. It's like, this is a, it's an actual little card congratulating me on the publishing of my book. And he signed it. Like, I don't know how he found out. I don't know who he is, but like, thank you. That was awesome. I saw that on your Facebook page. Awesome. Totally awesome. Okay, yeah. Randy, you've been across the entire spectrum of publishing from trad to indie. When did the switch occur and why? Well, okay, so um, my first book, Driving Crazy, that was initially self-published in, I think, 2008. And that was back in the day, it was, you know, pre-Amazon publishing. So when you do an indie book on your own like that, you are doing all the work, the, the, you know, the, the formatting of it, the cover and everything. And then you're sending all that information to a printer and then they print it. So I was that, so my first, so driving crazy when it first came out, I got 350 copies of the book sent to me, which took me maybe a year to sell, but you know, so in those days you really had to, you know, make sure your book was perfect because you know, you're not going to spend, you know, a couple thousand dollars, printing a whole bunch of books to sit in your, in your, in your, you know, pantry, if it's not good, you know what I mean? So, so, but I did that for a while. And then I, I, uh, I caught the attention of an international publishing house that was called Tate Publishing. And I thought, well, you know, why not? You know, I mean, I already know I can self-publish and they were really excited to it. And, and it, you know, it, it was one of those vanity press type places, but I managed to convince them to not charge me a penny to print the book. 
and to market the book for me. So, you know, so I felt like I was actually getting it over on them. You know, I mean, like those places, you know, they start out by saying, oh, we'll get, you know, for $2,000, we'll, no, 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 for a thousand, no, no, for five, no, free or nothing. I don't need you. You apparently need me. So finally they said, all right, fine, we'll do it for free. And they did it. And it was pretty good for about a year, maybe a little over a year. And then the company crashed and burned most spectacularly. In fact, I believe that the president and the CEO are still in prison for extortion, embezzlement, and racketeering. Multiple charges in all three of those things. That's right? an awesome story. You should right? write that up in a short story. I love it. Right, right. So, you know, so, so they went out of business, of course, you know, and then I got my rights back. And then a small indie publisher approached me and said, hey, you know, how about if I print your books for you? I'm like, all right, cool. I mean, obviously, you know, that'd be nice. You know, I got a new cover out of the deal and, you know, you know, didn't, again, have to pay anything to do any of it. So I did that and was with that particular person for about a year. And then they crashed and burned, although not quite as spectacularly. They just, the one person running this business just sort of disappeared one day and no one could find the person. And yeah, still it was, good. It was, that's still a good story, Matir, now. Yeah, no? Right, right. <laughs> So I got my rights back and then thought, you know what, I'm just going to self-publish. At that point, Amazon was, you know, doing its thing with KDP and all that. It's like, you know what, I'm just going to do my own thing now because I already know, you know, about the only thing I haven't done is the, the true on like the big five. You know, I haven't gotten with, you know, Simon and Schuster or, you know, whatever those people. So the next book I'm writing now, I, I actually am going to at least try to see about getting an agent and getting a, an actual publishing deal somewhere. But honestly, the idea of printing my own books, I mean, get them right in your hand and here they are. I mean, that's, you know, I get to keep all the money. I get to do all the work. <laughs> I, I don't really have a big problem with that. So I don't mind self-publishing at all. I'm just curious to know what more I might be able to get if I could actually land, you know, a, you know, a big deal somewhere. So I don't know, we'll see what happens. Would you have the patience? Other authors speak about the lack of patience that it could be a process taking, let's say another decade. Would you have the, do you know yourself? Would you have the patience to wait that long? Not only do I know myself, but my wife knows me really well. And she would say unequivocally, I do not have the patience for anything at all. So yeah, um, if, if I do this, I know that pretty much if I write the book and send it off to somebody, I have to pretty much you know write the book off, so to speak, and just say, this will be somewhere down the road, it'll publish and I can write something else. So if, if I'm in my mind that I have to get this out in the next year or whatever, I can't do it that way. And I, I know that, I, I, you know, so we'll, we'll see when it comes to that moment, do I actually have the patience to let this book sit? But I have two really good book idea, like series ideas. So I don't mind the idea if I can write this first one and then maybe see about getting a publisher for a year while I write the second one. I think I'll be okay with that, but you know, who knows? We'll see, I guess. Do you plan these things, your writing projects? Do you plan them or do you just let it kind of gel and see what happens? You know, I mean, I think I'm, I fit kind of halfway between the, the panther and the plotzer, as they say. Yeah. Pretty much for me, I, I mean, like, like with the Track Brothers story and the one that I'm working on now, I come up with these weird ideas and they just sort of sit in my head and percolate for, you know, months, days, years, decades. You know, so it, it's one of those things that I don't, I, I, it's, 
I mean, I certainly can come up with an idea, sit down and write it. I mean, I've done that before, especially with, you know, writing prompts that, you know, you have a, a week to write a story and I can certainly do that. But for the most part, for the, the big things I've done, it's been come up with the idea, let it percolate for a very long time until, you know, it's, it's complete. And, and, I, and I find, and I'll probably talk about this later too, because I always tend to, but when I get an idea in my head, it generally will not go away. So I don't really worry about forgetting an idea they will sit there and hit me, you know, over and over again until I do something about it. And apparently they don't hit very hard because the story that I'm the, I'm working on a sci-fi series now, and that's been almost 30 years that this has been in my head. So apparently, even though I don't like it, they, they bother me constantly. Apparently it doesn't bother me that, they bother, that it's bothering me. You know? So uh, do you have like a daily writing routine? that complements your day job? Or how do you work around your day job or around your writing? How do you make it fit in, dovetail? Well, for me, I, I as I kind of mentioned earlier, I wish that I had more of the daily writing mentality because I know that that's smart to do. But for whatever reason, I just, I, I mean, the, the fact that I was able to write Track Brothers 2 for an hour a day was a pretty monumental thing for me because my most favorite time of writing is Saturdays and Sundays. I like, I really do like the idea of waking up at eight in the morning, get my coffee, come down into my room down here and then just write for 10 hours and you know, wherever that goes. For some reason, I have a hard time. I think it's because I'm a procrastinator by nature. So if you give me an hour, I'm gonna waste 45 minutes of it getting prepared to write. Cause I gotta play a game of solitaire first. Cause you know, that's one of those things you gotta do. and you know, and this and that. And, you know, I got to go in and like reread some of the stuff I've written because, you know, I mean, if I wrote every day, yes, I realized that I could know right where I left off. And that's part of what I have to do. If I can get my mindset into daily writing, I wouldn't have to spend, you know, an hour rereading what I wrote to figure out where the heck am I, you know, but I still, I tend to write the best on weekends and just spend or, or take a day off from work. I love taking a day off from work and then just spending that whole day writing because that's even better than a weekend because no one has any any uh, claim on my my time. You know, like a weekend is always like, oh, you got to do shopping. Oh, time to mow the lawn, oh, you know, whatever. You know, so, uh, you know, if I can get a Monday morning where the wife's at work uh, and I don't have to care about what's happening in the yard out there, I can just write all day and, and work it out. So that's my thing is, is I'd rather be an all day writer. I'd rather be a hour by hour writer but i'm i'm an all-day writer okay cool do you feel writing is therapeutic or is it therapeutic for you it is yeah that's that's a big thing i don't i mean again because i've, I've got this this procrastinatory nature in my background it can be tough to even get myself to start writing sometimes but i find every single time that i do write i always feel better i always feel more at ease, like, okay, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm doing what I meant to do. You know, I mean, I've been at this for a long time and it's only been the last, I don't know, maybe decade or so that I've actually had actual success. People buying my, my book and telling me that they like my stuff, you know, as opposed to writing a short story, handing it to a friend, having them say, oh yeah, this is nice. And then never, you know, nothing more, you know. So what have you learned about yourself while writing your books? Mm. Well, I mean, part of what you just said is actually a lot of, of what I've learned is that writing is my best medicine. You know, like, like um, 
part of what's going on in my life right now, and I, you know, I hate to be a downer on this. My my mom passed away a couple of months ago, and Sorry. I've been. I mean, yeah, thank you. I mean, she was 94. I mean, she lived a good long life, and it wasn't like it was entirely unexpected. But but losing her has really. I mean, I, there's so much going on right now with the estate and all the stuff going on that it's really hard for me to, to focus and concentrate on writing. But I know that every time I do, I feel better. But it's just so hard. Like I, I've got the grief going on and it's just hard to you know, say, just stop thinking about all this stuff. Just sit down and get in your world. You love your world. Just go in there and hang out for a while you know, hang out with the characters that you love so much. And once I do that, I'm like, oh, yes, why didn't I do this earlier? You know, that, that's a big thing I've learned is that no matter how I'm feeling, writing will make me feel better. And I just, I need to remember that. I probably need to put that on a piece of paper and tape it on my wall somewhere. You know, I, I think I forget that I love writing. I wouldn't be doing this. Is this, I don't even know if I could make this a living in, in the strictest sense because I don't know if I'm disciplined enough to, you know, write a book a year or write a, you know, a book every six months or whatever, but I always feel better when I write and when I create these, these characters are just in the stories. And it's just, it's just so fun to get one of these ideas that are bouncing around in my head out on paper and actually have it like, Oh, that's exactly what I wanted it to be. Yes. You know? So that's, yeah, that's a big thing I've learned is, is just, I got to do it. I'll be happier if I do it. But that's a big challenge, breaking this barrier into the creative zone for I feel or know for most of the writers. That's a major challenge of creativity in itself. Artists say that, painters, and I myself find it really hard breaking that barrier where I actually feel better than in the real world. But just getting in there. What's yeah, that good you. Part of it for me too is that, you know, my, my day job is a numbers job. I'm, I'm a payroll person. So I do, you know, I do, I do numbers all day. And then, and you know, you can figure that numbers and words are, I don't think diametrically opposed is the right phrase, but they're very different parts of your brain. So I think that's actually a big reason why it's generally tough for me to turn from the payroll here to the writing over here. Yeah. that again because you have to there has to be some sort of a separation between the two yes and the fact that again the fact that i was able to do it for a few months there during the pandemic was pretty amazing but it is still a thing that you know numbers are one half of your brain and words are the other half or you know whatever so yeah <laughs> that's pretty amazing that you could do that during the lockdown and the quarantine maybe you could pick that back up again switching back and back and forth easier said than done what do you feel sets you apart from other authors well a lot of my writing pretty much everything i do i i put at least some amount of humor into it i mean some things i like driving crazy was you know pretty much a road trip comedy you know and i do feel like i have a pretty good flair for for humor for writing you know funny scenes and for writing funny dialogue but everything i do almost everything anyway pretty much tends to lean toward the, the comedic side of things so if i'm writing like track brothers and track brothers 2 are pretty serious pieces but there are a lot of funny pieces in there just because that's again that's how my mind works and i, I don't know a lot of a lot of authors i know there are plenty of authors that, that that you know can do the same thing but 
you read a lot of stuff and you know you may get a laugh out of it i know it's not supposed to be funny but you still kind of figure that life brings humor i mean we all find humor in the most horrible situations that's you know one of the human experiences and i think i, I think i do a pretty good job of adding that into my story so you're reading this intense scene and all of a sudden this really bizarre thing happens and it's funny and you you know you you, you get caught off guard by it so i, I feel like that's that i'm more than a lot of, of authors, I can put humor in stuff and, and make it not feel like I just crammed it in there for a laugh, you know? Right, right. What would you recommend to novice authors to not to do? Hmm. Not to do that. Something that you've learned from your experience that was really bad advice from somebody else. So something that you would tell an author, oh, hey, Randy, what shouldn't I do? Well, um, a lot of it is you'll get a lot. I mean, as, as a novice writer, you'll get a lot of advice from a lot of different people yeah. and some of it will be good. Some of it will make sense, but you have to realize, and the, something I've learned over the years is that you don't have to, and you shouldn't take everybody's advice. Like if you have four different people read your story and they tell you four different things, they are probably not all right. You know what I mean? So you need to, you need to look at what they're saying and then put it in your own frame. Like, you know, do they understand what I'm trying to do here? You know, cause a lot of times I've, I've had, I've had people who've edited my stories and have just completely changed my voice. And it's like, yeah, don't ever let anyone change your voice. You sound like you. And you'll find that out if you like, if you ever, like I do a lot of writing prompts, a lot of contests, 500 word stories, 250 word, 1,000 word, 2,000 word. I've done a lot of those over the year. And the fun thing to me is that you go back and you read the, you know, the 10 or 15 different stories that people came up with and all of them are monumentally different than each other. You have this, this thing that you would think, especially a lot of times when there's a prompt that makes you think, oh, well, this is the way people are gonna write this. And then they don't, you know? So mm -hmm. it's, it's, you have to keep your voice to you. You can't let somebody take your voice away or, you know, change it. You know what I mean? That's, that's, that's key. How long did it take you to find your own voice? And can you point it specifically to a book or a story when you realize, oh, okay, this is me. This is my style. This is how I want to express myself. You know, I think that it was probably, so like I said, I, I did a lot of short story writing in the beginning. It was not, I did nothing but short story writing up until probably, you know, 2010 or something like that. And so those stories, there was a point in there where uh, one of the stories I'd written, I'd actually, I'd written the story called Crazy Uncle Reggie. And I had, had I had uh, sent it, I actually it was written as part of a, like a 24 hour writing contest. And I got an honorable mention, an international honorable mention on it. So, I mean, I thought, well, this is, you know, pretty good, you know? And, and I, I sent it to a friend of mine who was an editor and just, you know, more or less, I think I was more or less like bragging, like, oh, look what I did, you know? And they looked it over and sent it back to me. Actually, the, the first thing I said was, do you mind if I edit this? <laughs> um, yeah, sure, okay. It's perfect already, but yeah, okay. And they sent it back and it was like three pages and it was printed. So, I mean, they, they sent back three pages with nothing but red circles and lines and arrows and and i the entire i mean the entire thing was completely covered in red and it took um, me several days to even like once i saw that like wow okay i'm gonna put this over here and bury it for a while but when i finally read it 
I realized what they were saying. A lot of it, like I, I wasn't varying my sentence structure. So everything was noun, verb, noun, verb, noun, verb. And once I realized that, all of a sudden, I, I didn't even need to think about it anymore. Like the next thing I wrote, all my sentences were, were varied and it just, my voice completely changed and for the better, like, oh, this story all of a sudden flows. I mean, even just changing that one story to this is like, wow, that, I thought this was a great story and it's like a hundred times better now. And then, so now when I write, I, I automatically do that without even thinking about it. And it's just, it makes everything flow. Now, yeah, that, that was really the moment right there. Crazy Uncle Reggie. That is interesting. How do you feel you have changed as an author from a writer to an author? Do you feel your character has changed or how do you handle your authorship? Some people find out that they cannot handle their own persona. (laughs) (laughs) I heard that. I heard that. Well, when I, you know, again, I, I think I think a lot of authors, like I would have to think the majority of authors are introverts by nature. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that for sure, but I, I would have to assume yes, that otherwise we'd be we'd be telling people stories and not writing them on books and then you know and then handing them to people and hoping they read it. So you know, as I went on and and started doing author events, um, that that was actually the first thing. So I, you know, you this was. Um, uh, with my um, writing at the Ledges group, uh, 2006, we put out an anthology, the first one, and I had four stories in it. Mm-hmm. And we did our very first event, which was at the um, in Grand Ledge at the Island Art Festival. And there were four of us there. We were all like massive introverts. So we're all just sitting there watching people walk by. Oh, hi. Hi. You know, and I get after about 10 people walking by and really not doing any more than putting your hand up, I realized no one's even going to stop. So I, I kind of had to like, turn it on like I need to become extroverted for at least the next six hours and sort of talking to people hey how you doing hey uh, you know, find some good stuff around here oh you like to read hey this is you know this is some fun stuff and you know and so I've kind of learned as I've gone on that 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 persona that version of me has to happen if I'm going to sell any books if I'm going to have fun at these events because really you could spend eight hours sitting at a booth reading and not even paying attention to anything that's going on and you would never sell anything and no one it would not be fun you know so that persona became like the the guy you know like oh this is this is randy pearson as an author you know this this is the dude this is randy d pearson doing his stuff you know and and the funny thing i find about that is that once the day is over and i go i go to leave it takes me a little bit to turn that dude off you know like i'll be in in the line at, at a gas station and i'll be like Oh, hey, how's it going, buddy? Oh, hey, uh, you know, how's it going, man? You know, hey, uh, oh, what you buying there? You know, <laughs> like, dude, none of these people want to talk to you, but it's like, I can't seem to turn it off. So yeah, that, 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 that version of me is, he's fun. I wouldn't want to spend a lot of time with him, <laughs> you know, but he's, he's fun for short term. Like he's this guy right now, you know, I mean, I'm on right now and I'm, you know, having a good time and, you know, you, you give me half an hour and I'll calm down. Can you turn it off after an author's event uh, in front of your family? Or do you continue <laughs> that persona in front of your family? <laughs> Luckily, I can I can turn it off. It does. I have to consciously think about don't bother the family. Well, usually, too, most of these events I do are like hours away from home. So you've got an hour and a half driving with nobody else around. And you can't be up and waving at the, at the cars as you're, as you're driving by and stuff, you know? So I do tend to calm down on the way home and then I'm home and like, 
oh gosh, I'm tired. I oftentimes will take the, the next day off from work just because like I, I I need to I need to just relax for a little while here. Same way after an author's event. Would you like to describe to us uh, something really funny or interesting or bizarre that has happened to you during one of these events? Oh gosh, I was hoping you'd ask me that. This is probably my favorite story. It was just so th this was um, my, during my first book, Driving Crazy. So um, um, I'm not sure if I have to explain the story or not, but, but, but I'll, I'll go on with the story and see if I need to explain anything as I go. But so basically I was doing an, an event. It was at a bookstore in Howell, I think, or Owasso. The book does, it's called Blue Frog Books. They don't exist anymore, but I was there. So, I, you know, I'd done readings. I talked to some people and and, you know, so in a break between like the readings and stuff, this guy comes walking up to me, very straight face, just, I mean, he, you know, one of those kind of people that doesn't like smile normally, you know, just walked up to me and he said, hey, I have a question. Yeah. Um, hey, do you still have the business? I'm like, do, do I still have what business? Oh, the arcade game business. So from driving crazy at the end of it, they, they, they start this arcade business, this little driving arcade thing called driving crazy, of course. So yeah, he, he walks up to me and he says, yeah, so do you still have the business? And I'm like, no, I mean, driving crazy is a fictional story. I, I, I invented these characters and the look on his face, I crushed the poor guy. He just went all pale and went, oh, oh yeah, yeah, no, of course, of course, yeah, no, I'm, of course, yeah. Like, oh gosh, I felt like I just, like, you really thought this was real? Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. I mean, I'm happy that you did because that's, you know, an ultimate compliment, but I, he, but you know, he just, oh, oh, I'm so sorry, man. I didn't know that this was a, you know, but he stuck around, he listened to more readings. He bought, I had merchandise. He bought like everything I had, t-shirts and mugs and pens. And like, so he was pretty happy, but yeah, I just, and I'm sorry, I, maybe I shouldn't even laugh at that, but it was just, the look on his face was just so devastating. Like it never occurred to him that this wasn't a real story. Like, dude, it says fiction right now. <laughs> you crushed him. You just, you destroyed the guy. You, yeah. you destroyed his dreams. I, I did, I felt so bad. I really felt bad. But I still, I love telling the story because like, oh, that's certainly one time where <laughs> I my my you know, there are a few people who have come to me like, uh, like the, the, the guy who we bought this house from, um, he, you know, he bought a copy of my book. Every time I see him, like usually it's like me and my wife are walking around town and he'll, he'll be there. And he's like, he'll walk up to, to Wendy, my wife, and say, have you read this book? Do you know what this guy has done? I'm like, how many times do you have to tell you I didn't actually do this stuff? I'm hoping he's kidding. But it's just, it's, oh gosh, it's just funny. It's like, dude, this is, it says fiction right on the book. Maybe I should put that in bigger letters. I don't know, but... Oh, yeah. Where do you see the future of indie publishing, let's say 10 years from now? Well, it's going to keep getting bigger and bigger. There's no doubt about that. Um, I read something, um, I don't know, two or three, I think probably three years ago by now, that said even this was like 2017, that there were over a million self-published books that came out. Yes, I read <clears> that. And, you know, and you know that every year there are more and more, especially you know, I mean, it's, it's good and bad that Amazon has made it so super simple and free to publish. I mean, it's good because obviously it's nice for us to be able to publish for free, but it does mean that literally anybody who writes anything can publish without having any background, no editing, no, I mean, there is, so, you know, like 
when we first started doing indie publishing, I mean, I don't know how far back that was, but for me, like, you know, to 2008 or whatever, there was already that stigma that, you know, self-publishing means horrible. Like you couldn't get published somewhere. So you did it yourself. It's going to be error-ridden and terrible. And then there was maybe three or four years for people again to realize, you know what, that doesn't mean that. I mean, this just means they, they wanted to do it on their own. So, you know, and then you know, a lot of us spent a lot of time and a lot of effort, and a lot of money making sure our stuff was, it was as perfect as it can be. You're not putting out crap because you don't want to be that guy, you know, but now in, in 2021, anybody can publish anything at any time without any amount of work. So you, you can have just the worst crap out there. And I'm afraid that's going to make people go back to thinking the indie publishing is just total crap. And that's not good for us who actually go to the trouble of doing our stuff right. So I'm hoping that that doesn't cause us trouble. You know what I mean? But I do expect there's going to be more and more. But that's also why I try to team up with as many you know, quality indie authors as I can. You know, people like you and, and you know, I, you know uh, Diana and everybody who, you know, it's just nice being part of groups of people who, you know, when I do events, there are several different groups of friends I do events with. And all of them are top-notch quality authors. And it's not, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do, I wouldn't share a booth with a hack because then you're like, yeah, this stuff's horrible. Don't buy it, but buy mine. I mean, that's, that's no way to do anything, yeah, you know? Right. Right. Uh, okay, Randy, <laughs> would you like to read to us? I would love to read to you. Yes. <laughs> so what I'm going to do here. So I've got, as, as I've shown you a few times now, I've got my two books. I got Track Brothers and Track Brothers 2. Um, because the, the obviously Track Brothers 2 is the new one, but I think it makes more sense to read from the first one. But what I want to do, I've got a couple of sections here that will give you a really good idea of just how horrible the, the villain Santoskoy is and to find out why you want to read the second book to find out exactly why he became this way and what happened to him. <clears throat> All right, here we go. The track pirates screeched to a stop in front of the rail rider's home while Rick, Shadrach, Trent, Preston, and the other men stood in a line in front of the camp. Some held hammers and sticks, while others stood with arms crossed. While Wick did not necessarily want to come across as aggressive, when he saw the thinly veiled anger seething behind Sanescoy's bearded face, he stood, holding the bat firmly in hand. You're not welcome here, he said, his voice clear and assertive. Sanescoy leaped off his handcar throne, raised his fancy pistol, and pointed it directly at Wick's face. I'm through, um, through playing with you people. I want the key, and I want it now. Throughout his 63 years of life, Marshal Wickersham had never before seen a gun aimed at him. While a brave man who did not shy away from a fair fight, the prospect of being shot in the face, no less, shook him to his core. However, he knew his people counted on him. Leaders often had to put their lives in danger for the good of the group. Mac had uh, certainly given his ultimate sacrifice. So far in this idyllic, peaceful community, Wick's job had been tough, but generally safe. Saniscoy, while a nuisance, had never posed this direct a threat before. He had to do something. Narrowing his gaze, Wick looked Saniscoy directly in the eyes. We don't have this key you keep talking about. You need to leave now. Inhaling deeply and holding it for a long moment, Saniscoy turned his back on the riders. He exhaled sharply and then said in an eerily calm voice, I didn't want it to come to this. Spinning back to face the rail riders, he brought his gun up, aimed it, and squeezed the trigger. Oh, crap. Sorry. <laughs> there we go. Sorry. 
The gunshot rang out like a scream in a quiet room. Everyone, even the pirates, fell silent as, as people tried to see where the bullet landed. A small gurgling noise drew people's attention as Trent, holding his chest, sank to his knees. Before anyone could react, his, he, he fell face first onto the hard ground. Oh my God, shouted Wick, dropping his bat as he rushed over to the fallen rider. As he flipped his friend over, Trent barked out a few coughs, spewing a mouthful of blood over Wick. Hang in there, Trent, Wick said softly before he turned and shouted, someone get me something to stop the bleeding. You, get him some water. Oh, Wick, Sandiskoy said casually, lengthening his name for effect. We still have business and I still have plenty of bullets. Spending to glare at the pirate leader, Wick screamed, you monster, you evil bastard. He stood up and marched towards Sanaskoy, scooping up his bat along the way. Stop, Ken demanded Sanaskoy as he leveled his pistol at Wick's chest. Not another step unless you have the key in your hand. I will shoot all of you one at a time until I get that key. Pushing her way through the crowd, Claire yelled, okay, fine, you son of a bitch, here, and threw the key, at, and the key and necklace at him. It bounced off his chest and landed in the dirt in front of him. Now leave us alone. The Pirate King released a loud, self-satisfied sigh through a toothy grin. Ah, <sighs> finally. Now, was that so difficult? I mean, really. Gesturing toward one of, the one of his lackeys then and then at the ground, the Pirate dropped to his knees and retrieved the key. He handed it to his leader with no fanfare, quickly backing away. After shooting one of the riders, even his own men ranged from uneasy to downright fearful. Excellent, he said as he looked back at his crew. Now bring me the Traxel hand car and let's see what's in that blasted box. His men glanced at one another nervously. Finally, the one who retrieved the key said, uh, sir, what? When he saw their panic expressions, he sighed. Do you mean to tell me that none of you thought to bring that infernal hand car? Pinching the bridge of his nose, he added through clenched teeth. I ask so little from you people. Fine. He turned his back on Wick and the riders, taking a step away. Well, rail riders, it sure has been fun, but we have to be going. No, no, we insist, but thanks so much for the hospitality. Snickering as he looked back toward Wick, he added one final thing. But before we go, we would very much like to leave you with something. Just a little something extra, a token of our gratitude, if you will. Thank you, Randy. <laughs> You're welcome. One last question. Where, where can people see you in person this summer? Yeah. Well, um, I mean, obviously we don't have a whole lot of stuff scheduled yet, but um, one of my events from last year was, was rescheduled for this year. So um, I am going to be in Turkeyville, which is right outside of Marshall, Michigan. Uh, that's going to be May 15th and 16th. That's a little craft show with maybe, I don't know, a couple of dozen vendors, maybe 30. So that's always kind of a fun one there. Um, I'm also going to be um, with a bunch of other authors that you've interviewed um, at, in Muskegon at the Lakeshore, um, what is it called? The Lakeshore Art Festival, I believe. Yes. So I think that's June 26th and 27th. Yep. Um, and then the last one that I have scheduled at this moment is uh, the Manton Harvest Festival. Um, that one is up in Manton, Michigan, which is a little north of Cadillac, that area. So that's yes. right around Labor Day. That's the, the, the three days around the Labor Day weekend. And that one is, my, is probably my, my favorite event of the year partially because I have some, some dear friends that are pretty much family that live up there, so I get to hang out with them. But um, both of these books actually take place in that area, the Manson area. area. So I, oh. I sell a lot of books <laughs> up there. So it's, it's a lot of fun. I always have to make sure I bring a very large supply of books when I come up there. Okay, how about your parting shots? Uh, 
Well, when it comes to indie authors, I say at this point, honestly, someone like Stephen King, he doesn't need you to buy his book. Matter of fact, he doesn't care if you buy his book. He doesn't even know if you buy his book. An indie author, believe me, if you buy a book from an indie author, that person will do cartwheels. They will love you. They will be excited. They sold a book, you know? It's, it's, it may even sound a little sad to say it that way, but we just don't sell a lot of books, you know? I mean, it's just, you know, there are, again, a million books. You know, it's hard to, to find your 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 voice out there with that many other things. So if you know of an indie author, you know that they've written some fun books, you know, pick one up, you know, pick it up after you have that and, you know, go to an event or, you know, do it online, you know, get an ebook, whatever, buy the book. And then after you've read it, read it, please, <laughs> you know, because none of us, honestly, I can tell you that as a fact that none of us care if you buy a book and then set it on the shelf, we don't want that. We write because we want you to you know, read our stuff. So buy the book, read the book, and then please, please, please go to Amazon, go to Goodreads, go somewhere and review it for us, please. I mean, even if you hated it, which we hope you don't, but even if you do, we still want to know. I mean, please go go review it. That's, that's the thing. Buy it, read it, review it. Please and thank you. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Randy. Thank you. Great talking to you. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye.